0: You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer.
1: I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer.
0: And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of the Complete Developer Podcast. Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well,
1: I had a little bit of a slugging match with TypeScript over the weekend. Really? Yeah, I was trying to um, I was trying to work on some code that uses Aurelia. A lot of the samples that I saw for using TypeScript, which I would like to use, um, assume that you have TypeScript 1.5. Yeah. You know, enabled Visual Studio. So I'm in Visual Studio 2015, and for the longest time, I could not get it to act right and actually use the right version of TypeScript. It was using 1.0, and there were some pieces that it needed. That weren't in there. Mm-hmm. And I finally ended up, after about an hour and a half of work, going in and editing the CS project file manually. Wow. Cramming that crap in there. And then I ran into some more stuff and I said, you know what? Vanilla JavaScript is okay with me. So <laughs> I went, and I, I just, I rolled back the git commit and, um, or I hadn't actually committed at that point and, uh, just started doing straight up vanilla javascript and i think it's gonna it's gonna be okay i didn't get very far after that because by then i was so frustrated but yeah it's a bit irritating what do you have
0: well i've actually had a lot going on this week um to start off i will be flying up to new york tomorrow uh, do some training we've been kind of back and forth on that um i'll be up there for a few weeks and so we're uh recording actually i'm recording on my uh gaming headset right now because my microphone is already packed to go. This past weekend, I, uh, was a guest on another podcast, which that was pretty cool. Um, it's called the developer soup. I suggest everyone go out and listen to it. It's a couple of, uh, fellow newbies that, uh, are kind of podcasting about their experience. Um, unfortunately one of the guys was sick, so he wasn't able to, to make it for this episode, but, um, Alex and I, we sat and, well, pretty much we talked about uh, job hunting and stuff like that because he and I are both at about the same spot in our learning and uh, we both kind of are out looking for development jobs. I feel bad for him because he kind of lives in uh, a very rural area and it's like four or five hours to get to anything like a meetup or things like that.
1: Yeah, on the plus side he has lower living expenses, so he can actually compete a little bit better for some entry level jobs, but yeah, that can be kinda of tricky.
0: Yeah. It it's it's the problem of a lot of the suggestions for how to get those jobs are networking and it's difficult to network when you don't have a place to go. And I, I understand that frustration. Um,
1: yeah, you're well, you're living in a rural area too. You just drive to Nashville a lot.
0: Well, Nashville is only about an hour and a half away from me, and I mean, I work here and everything, so I'm here all the time. Yeah. Um, and the, the only other thing that uh, really went on this week was, uh, you know, we talked earlier, um, like last week, about uh, the stuff that we're doing, the pair programming. Well, I've been kind of doing my own stuff, learning some in Hibernate, and uh, had some issues with the Fluent in Hibernate mapping yeah. Uh it was a mini to one and I uh I had just it took me hours to figure out what I was doing wrong.
1: Yeah. And I've had I actually still uh use the old school XML for that reason because I've been you know, I've been programming a long time and every time I've dealt with fluent it's been smooth until it isn't and then instead of doing what you're trying to do at that moment you just dig into crap that you don't care about. Whereas with the XML files, when it blows up, it blows up and it's obvious.
0: Yeah. The, I think the frustrating part for me was it didn't say it was a mapping issue. And it took me that long to just backtrack the issue to there. Yeah. So with that said, uh, let's go ahead and roll the music. I got some fun stuff for IOTs. <laughs> All right, guys, this week uh, for IOTs, I have something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is the Internet of Things Doctor Who TARDIS. <laughs> this is from the blog.adafruit.com, uh, and it's it's really cool. Uh, it comes with instructions on uh, how to build your own Internet of Things uh, TARDIS, like, kind of like a money box or puzzle box. To build this, you'll need... Uh, Some plywood, some black and blue paint, plastic film, uh, 5.5 millimeter power jack, one RGB LED, um, small breadboard, some wires and headers, and um, it's just a—it's a really neat little TARDIS that lights up and makes noise and stuff. So, you know, the first step is of course to cut all your parts with a laser cutter because everybody has one just laying around at home. All right, this week we're going to talk about motivation and uh, some ways that you can find your motivation and uh, be self-motivated. Motivation is a key element to job satisfaction and to getting things done, uh, be they job-related or not. This week's discussion, uh, we're going to talk about some ways to increase your motivation, and to find what motivates you. Uh, To start off, uh, I want to talk about a study by Frederick Herzberg, where he looked at 200 engineers and accountants and came up with a two-factor theory. The first is the hygiene factor, and the second is the motivation factor. These are factors of people's work environments that influence their job satisfaction, The hygiene factors are working conditions, quality of supervision, salary, safety, and company policies. These are the necessary items that are needed to ensure employees are not dissatisfied, but they don't really contribute to motivation.
1: So it's more like absence of pain instead of presence of joy?
0: Exactly. Um, These are the... The negative reinforcers, where you're taking away something bad as a reinforcement. The motivating factors are achievement, recognition, responsibility, sometimes the work itself, personal growth, and advancement. The constant rush of learning, being responsible for the company's success or failures, uh, believing in the company's future growth, These are the things that make the job more desirable for a lot of developers. So to start off talking about motivation, we're going to talk about how the company can help. Or another way to put it is what to look for in a company when you are out looking for a job. And this can be broken down into three basic categories. They are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. We'll take a look at each one of these under autonomy. Does the company set you up for success?
1: Yeah, and you'll see a lot of companies that really don't. Um, especially if you work at a, a lot of large development shops that are not um, focused on meeting challenges in the future. You know, they're in triage mode, and development's kind of a expense line item. They'll they'll set you up to not really be able to actually create things and really improve the company. They're just trying to tread water.
0: These are the companies that are more interested in the hygiene factors than the motivation factors.
1: A lot of times they don't even have that. At least my experience has been, uh, you know, poor salary, uh, either no supervision or constant, you know, people messing with you and micromanaging uh, company policies that discourage actual productivity. Um, I've even seen safety issues where they'll you know, put 15 people in a room that really should have like five or six, you, you know, you don't even have the ability to set a drink by your laptop. You know, your, your hands are cramped in and you're on the edge of a desk. I actually worked at one of those kind of places last fall.
0: From my research, most of the posts that I read about motivation and that looked at the study seemed to follow the, the mantra that um, larger Corporations and bigger companies tend to be more focused on the hygiene, whereas to get the motivation factors, uh, more smaller companies are better for that because you have more of a vested interest in the company when it's a lot smaller.
1: Yeah, and you also – well, I mean, that's why we're talking about autonomy. You have the ability to have input and have a change that you make actually – you can see it move the needle.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's one of the other points on here. Um, those include excellent management. Management that's there to help you, but not overbearing. A limited red tape. The last few under autonomy are a few legacy constraints. And then what Will mentioned, having a voice in the process. The next is mastery. And this comes down to learning new things having the ability to be creative and solve the right kind of problems
1: yeah and you'll you'll find a lot of developers that really are discouraged on this because they'll have you know 5 years 10 years 12 years experience and they really don't have that many years experience they have the same year of experience over and over again doing yeah. exactly the same crap and it just absolutely it really wears people down they're not effective anymore
0: Yeah, and that's, that's not why they got into the field and that's not what they want to be doing in the field. The right kind of challenge is a technical challenge that teaches a new skill, preferably one everyone's talking about or something that is uh, something that's very useful and new and popular. The wrong kind of challenge, however, are things like fix that other guy's code, you know, the one we didn't fire because we were afraid he might cause problems. Well, he wrote a really crappy system, and we need to fix it and make it high quality and maintainable.
1: And by the way, he's your manager now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you have until tomorrow to get it done. Yeah. That's the wrong kind of challenge.
1: It is a challenge, though. And you can actually make it into a a little bit of a fun game You know, once or twice, and you can survive it, but... Over an extended period, it pretty well just eats your soul.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, And then finally, purpose being recognized for your hard work, building something that really matters or that something that you have a vested interest in.
1: Yeah. And I think probably one of the most demoralizing things in my career is I worked at a company. That tended to have a lot of, not really a lot of death march, but a lot of, um, you know, we got to hurry up and get this done, and people going to have to stay late for a couple days, type stuff. And I remember staying late and missing something. And I forget what it was. It was something with the family because you know something had to get done. It was like a report. And a couple of years later, the I got I got a bug report on that report, you know, from production. So, okay, I'll go ahead and look at it. Looking at the code, that code never worked. That means that nobody looked at it.
0: Good grief.
1: All that time. There was something about it that had changed. You know, somebody had, you know, I, I was able to look at the change set, and somebody had made a change, like, a week or two after me or something, and it had actually broken it, and it was broken the entire time.
0: All right. So, with some examples of... uh of what can be demoralizing in our field, let's uh, take a look at finding out what motivates you. And this is kind of different for everybody. Um, you put a Google search in for finding your motivation, and you get a ton of silly online quizzes. I did, uh, did quite a bit of looking into this, just because I wanted to go beyond those quizzes and I found a bit of pop psychology stuff, but one particular one really kind of resonated with me, so I wanted to talk about that. And this is from from a book, and I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys to to go check it out. It basically has to do with how do you respond to expectations? Both inner expectations, like what you expect of yourself, and outer expectations, what your boss, your teacher, or whoever expects of you. The, the woman that wrote the book came up with four basic kind of archetypes. And uh, she was very clear that not any of us are just one archetype. These are, you know, things to be looked at as... You're somewhere on a grid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, those are the upholders, the questioners... The obligers and the rebels. Now the upholders, they respond to both outer and inner expectations very well. They're very self-directed and get a lot of things done um, kind of a, a good ideal that a lot of us see. However, they tend to struggle a lot with unclear expectations. If what they're expected to do isn't very straightforward and isn't stated outright that yeah and i'm
1: i have a lot of difficulty with that i would say i'm probably more more of an upholder like when i get a project and people are not clear about what i need to get done i i really struggle i have to go and get get answers and that's something i learned is that i have to
0: i i can i can vouch for you on that uh having worked with you on several projects um Even pranks in college. (laughs) Yeah, I have
1: to have a definite goal, and and then I'm very effective once I know what the goal is. But if it's just some random, oh, we're just going to mess with somebody, you know, okay, well, either let me lead it, or you need to tell me what we're doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. The questioners, and I have a little bit of this in me, uh, they only meet expectations if they believe it is justified. They're very intellectually engaged, and they're always asking a lot of questions and pestering you or pestering people about what they're expected to do. The downfall, however, is they tend to suffer from analysis paralysis, and this can even be in their own self-motivation things, is they're always wanting to know just one more piece of information, just a little bit more before I actually act.
1: Yeah, and you'll see this a lot with uh, people that think they're entrepreneurs, and I forget who who has the thing about this, but they call them entrepreneurs. They <laughs> want to be entrepreneurs, but they're not, because they're always looking for the next little thing that's going to make them more effective. It's the mm-hmm. guys that always read the self-help books and never get anything done, and that tends to be a pathological example. Of course, they do, you know, once they have, you know, they, they can absolutely throw out very good information on stuff, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, very valuable on a team for that, but they have to be directed appropriately.
0: The upholders uh, are definitely ones that you want on a team. And uh, the questioners are ones that... Well, they're ones that the upholders want on a team if the expectations are not very clear. Because they're the ones that know how to ask the questions to get those clear expectations. Next is the obligers. And these are the ones that... Uh, excel at meeting external demands, but not so much uh, the internal. They're the givers, the quote-unquote selfless. These are the ones that uh, a lot of people think they want to have on a team because they'll give everything to the team, to the project. However, not only do they have difficulty with motivating themselves with internal motivations – but they also have a tendency to sort of snap.
1: Yeah, they, they, they give until they can't give anymore and then everything goes sideways. And usually it's at the – well, it's, it's always going to be at the worst possible time, right? Because you end up relying on these people a lot. And you know, because they're effective at delivering and they're doing it for the good of the team and they're, you know, they really they're kind of Atlas with the whole world on their shoulders – when they decide to throw that thing off, everybody has a problem.
0: Exactly. And I've been in, uh, especially in school, on group projects with people like that. I was that guy in
1: school. Uh, my, my senior project was that way. I did the vast majority of the work. And I just about had a nervous breakdown by about Thanksgiving a little bit after because it was the other people were kind of having it easy. And I was I was spending all of my spare time coding.
0: That actually explains quite a bit. It was around the time you and I stopped getting along, yeah,
1: I mean, that's all I did is I worked, and I felt like it wasn't appreciated, and that's when I kind of cut back on a lot of you know doing things for other people because you know after a while you do you do that enough and you you look around and you find you're not getting anything for yourself, and then you snap and it looks like a snap to everybody else, but what it really is is just a recalibration to something that's not pathological,
0: exactly. The final group are the Rebels, and I tend to fall into this one, somewhere between this one and the questioners myself. The Rebels, however, resist all expectations. They put a high value on authenticity and self-determination, almost like polar opposites for the upholders. However, this can be very frustrating, not just to people working with them, but for themselves um, many times they want to do things they have goals that they want to achieve, but their own rebellious nature makes it hard for them to accomplish those.
1: yeah, I can see that in you yeah, yeah because you know it's 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 like the guy that always has to be trailblazing but always seems to get snake bit. you know he's always doing something new and different, but he's always facing the consequences of doing something new and different. They can be great for, you know, especially like for early stage startups or uh, when you're at the, the phase of trying to figure out, you know, how to get into a new market or how to recapture a market, those kind of things. But there's other places that they're very tricky. For instance, um, you know, enterprise code that's very, uh, you know, very heavily structured and they've got a certain way of doing things and you don't deviate from the one true rule for that environment. That doesn't go very well.
0: I really, really like the days in school that don't follow the pattern. That's the rebel in me. But to really enjoy those days, you have to have the pattern.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, you just have chaos.
0: Exactly. And while chaos can be fun occasionally, all the time, it's not really that great.
1: Well, you get enough chaos, you have entropy.
0: Next under Finding What Motivates You is uh, a section I titled, Be for Behavior. And uh, we have intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. And typically in the workforce, our extrinsic rewards are money, benefits, uh, they can even be stock shares, things like that. And we're not really going to talk too heavily on those because it's pretty obvious and uh, most people can figure out, you know, we all have a price.
1: Yeah, well, and money doesn't really work all that well as a long-term motivator because there's a certain point where you've got your needs met, whatever those are. And, you know, getting up to that point, it's a very, very effective motivator, but all of a sudden it just sort of drops
0: Yeah, exactly. And also, we as developers, we tend to be a little different once you reach the point where your needs are met, then money does not continue to be a motivator for the majority of developers.
1: Right. And your needs are met most places with a starting development salary.
0: We've talked about this in the past, uh, about how... You start off with a really good salary, and there's a steep curve very early on in your career, and then you kind of plateau, and then there's another steep curve, and you kind of reach a ceiling at that point, and from there you're gonna go either into management or start your own business or out of development altogether,
1: or you stay a developer and you you're okay with it. You know, I know a few that have done that, not quite a few, but they they stay there. You know, their needs are met, and they're. You know, as money-wise, and they're still challenged, and they're you know, they stay in it. I think that's that's a characteristic of your long-term developers is they're content with a certain level of income, and it's you know tends to be a fairly decent level.
0: Yeah, and especially if you if you can live well below your means at that kind of an income, which isn't a bad income, and it's not that hard to live below your means at that income. The intrinsic Rewards include such things as learning a new skill or overcoming a challenge, curiosity, and uh, being able to satisfy your curiosities, Uh, a sense of control over your own behavior and body, regardless of the environment, Uh, being able to compare your performance to others, and uh, winning in your own set of criteria – now, a little later on, um, when we talk about self motivation, we're going to, we're going to readdress comparing yourself to others. But here it has to do with, are you successful compared to others? Are you on the same level? Another includes helping other people, uh, to motivate themselves. And finally, under the intrinsic rewards, uh, Receiving recognition for our actions and accomplishments. That's a big thing. I did not realize how important that was until probably halfway through or after college, how much I've really get out of just being recognized for the work that I do.
1: Yeah. That's, that's been a huge motivator for me and I've, Notice that jobs where that's not the case. I I tend not to stay around very
0: long. We also have some subconscious motivations. And uh, we kind of hit on that a little bit with some of the behavioral ones. They kind of intermingle. But the first one under subconscious motivations is achievements. In part, the ability to take risks. The complexity of the work we're doing. The more complex the task when we finish it, the more we feel that we've achieved. And this is, these are ways to, to look at what you're doing and look at what, what you're wanting to do and say, is this a motivating factor for me? And do I feel a sense of achievement when doing this? The other is the level of responsibility. Uh, we talked about this just a little bit earlier in the autonomy and in the mastery. And the more control you have over your environment and the more input you have into what you're doing, the more likely you are to be motivated to work harder. Next on the subconscious is affiliation. And there have been a lot of studies on uh, group thinking and on group identity, but one of the subconscious motivators is, do you identify with the group you're working with?
1: Yeah, because when you don't fit, it just, it does not work. You know, I've, I've worked on a few teams of people that everybody in the group was a suburbanite. You know, they were used to perfectly manicured lawns and they had that kind of mentality And I don't know if anybody notices this uh, listening to the podcast, but that's not exactly who I am.
0: No, Will is from the very rural sticks and mountains of Tennessee.
1: Not really mountains, we call them that, but there's hills. When you don't fit on the team, it's usually pretty obvious pretty quick. Within a few days, you're just like, wow, I just can't, can't connect with anybody here
0: that's okay. You can still get your job done in those environments, but it may not be one where you want to stay around for multiple years.
1: Yeah. Or you have to, you have to consciously try to find motivation instead of it showing up because you can't just quit because you don't fit in, you know, unless there's, unless you got another job waiting, you know, there's, there can be kind of outsized financial problems from that. So
0: exactly. Um, then lastly, under the subconscious, we have uh, power. Do you feel that you have the power over your own life or over your social situations? And this can strongly influence your motivation. Because if you feel powerless, you're really not motivated. And that, that kind of hits the major points with finding your motivation. Um I kind of have a little bit of a preview for a future episode that we have on goal setting. Uh, just because it fits so well with finding your motivation. And that's uh, processes for improving your motivation and for acting on your goals. Well, what you want to do is you want to start off by identifying the goal or what motivates you. The easiest way is to look for something that you want and then once you identify something you want look for something that you can do to move towards that next you want to act on it you know and this is where the the motivation comes in is in the acting and you want to do a cost effective task you know one that if you fail won't cost too much
1: yeah you always curb your downside risk with anything you're doing but you try to make it so that you can get some small victories and start kind of building up a head of steam where you feel like you can take larger risks.
0: You get those small goals accomplished, and you can kind of look back and see how much you've done. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, when I was a teenager. I used to have to mow the lawn, and the front lawn wasn't bad, but we had uh, about an acre in the back and a push mower one of the ways that I would motivate myself was to do a line and go back and do a line and go back and do a line and go back. And after I'd done that for a while and I started to get tired and started to lose my motivation. I had
1: a boss that was like that. He would do a line and he'd go and he'd do some work and he'd go back to the bathroom and do a line. (laughs) Not Uh those kind of lines. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) A line in the yard.
0: Yeah. But no, when I started to feel my motivation slipping, I would turn and look and think to myself, look at all I've gotten done so far. And that's, that's really it. Breaking it down into those one line at a time, one line at a time, and then you look back at all the ones you've done and you're like, I'm over halfway done.
1: Yeah, and you know, part of this is just having the ability to measure progress because it's very easy to think, oh, I was always right here.
0: Small, measurable tasks are what you want. You know, ones that you can look at and say, I accomplished this, and my next one is about the same size task, but I'm on a path towards my goal, towards what I want. And that's just one of the best ways that I have found to stay motivated.
1: You'll see that a lot with people that have either to do lists or, you know, they're using the getting things done methodology so that they can just. You know, sharply focus on one thing and get that thing done and get the, the little dopamine burst from that. And then they get to the next thing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and once you get those done, the next step is to review, you know, after you've made some progress, like I said, I would start to feel my motivation lacking or I'd get tired mowing the lawn and so I'd review what I'd done, look back and go, "Wow, I'm over halfway done. Let me finish this up." Um,
1: it's amazing how many things you learn in agriculture apply.
0: You know, you want to look look back and see the progress you've made, but also you want to look and see, you know, is your goal complete? Is it still a goal? And then that leads right into the next step, which is repeat. And uh, I have a the point on the, the outline that says go to two dot C dot one, which is identify.
1: Did you just write a program in your outline? Yes, I did. Oh,
0: because <laughs> yeah, I am that kind of nerd, but yeah, it, you know, from, from there you go back and you identify and you say, you know, you, you've reviewed and you know, if the goal is not complete, then you identify that goal again and you look at what you can do to move towards it.
1: Yeah. It's like collecting telemetry. Exactly. So another thing in the mix here is, is getting to the point where you can actually be self-motivated. One thing that's very critical in all this is to always enhance your skills. you to know, be doing that on a regular basis. You don't want to be doing this as a punctuated equilibrium kind of thing.
0: Going back to the goal setting, you want to set reasonable targets and use a goal-setting plan.
1: Yeah, because you don't want to be in a situation where, like, let's say I wanted to learn Node.js on a C-Sharp developer and I do the occasional bit of Node. You don't want to be in a position where you go, oh, crap, I've got to learn how to do the entire mean stack, you know, that's Mongo Express Angular node. And i got to do it in the next month and get to the point where I can professionally develop on that. Cause yeah, you might be able to. If you're an experienced developer, you might be able to really drill and really push hard and get to where you can fake it,
0: kinda. If you're a freelancer and you've just come off a really good-paying job and you don't have anything to do for a month, you might be able to pull it off.
1: Yeah, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be awful, and you're going to get discouraged. And it's also just a big chunk of work. You know, you're not you're not going to get the feedback of having grown. Quickly, you know, looking at it because you go, oh, you know, I'm really good with Mongo and I'm really good with Express and I'm really good with Node, but Angular kills me. I'm a failure. Like you got three out of four and you're a failure because you, you the, the size of work that you're examining is too large. But you can do kind of a workforce driven development. Like you can take something and learn a little bit more about it and push in a general direction that your work is taking you and actually kind of get away with that and get some quick wins and I find that works a whole lot better over the long-term cadence of projects that you're gradually growing towards a goal, but you're not trying to make the leap all at once. And you're doing it along with the stuff that's actually required.
0: To be self-motivated, you don't want to compare yourself with others because it creates a negative mental atmosphere. Yeah. And what you want to do is compare yourself with yourself.
1: Yeah, to the previous version of yourself.
0: Yeah. And you you want to see the progress that you've made. Um, going back to my example of mowing the lawn, I didn't compare myself to my neighbor mowing his lawn.
1: Yeah, because he probably had a faster lawnmower. He probably didn't have a push mower.
0: He had a riding mower, yeah. yeah.
1: So There's a lot, you know, it was a completely different set of circumstances. It's almost, it's almost like a, a quality operator. When you compare types that don't have the same constraints, sometimes it gets tricky and you can't really compare them.
0: In goal setting, you want to set different types of goals depending on your time. And uh, just for my own edification, I've broken this down into uh, namespace, class, and method. And I don't know how Will's going to react to that. But uh, the namespace, you want to set your 5, 10, 15-year goals, these are your overarching picture. These are the these are the interview questions that you answer. Where do you want to be in five years, in ten years, in fifteen years? These are the the big things. Oh well, I wanna be a senior developer in five years. I wanna be owning my own company in ten years. You know? I want to be living in Bora Bora in fifteen years. False ID on a beach. Exactly. <laughs> no. Um, but these are these are your overarching pictures. These are not very detailed. These are just kind of like where you want to be. And next is the 3 6 12. And that's 3 months, 6 months, and 12 months. And this is where you start getting detailed. Uh, this is what I call the class. Um, these are your larger, long-term goals that you want to set for... You want to set a three-month goal, a six-month goal, and a 12-month or one-year goal that you're going to work towards. These are your intermediary between your big overarching goal and your small tasks.
1: It's a big chunk of stuff that you can you know, work towards. You know, After that, of course, then you get into your, your 30-, 60-, and 90-day goals, which are fairly similar to the method level. What you really want to work on there is is a manageable chunk of stuff that, you know, is, is sort of a single focus. Of course, below that, you have another level that I'm adding on that BJ is completely shocked by because we're just winging it on this part, is the closure. Uh, you know, like the inside of a for loop, those kind of things, right? And that's your individual tasks. That's your daily goals. That's your, you know, I've got to get this done this morning type things. And managing those, and you build that up into method level, class level, and namespace level.
0: Very, very good. That's uh, that's one thing that I was going to hold off to the goal setting just because it gets a little bit more detailed, but that's a very good point. And that, that's kind of the way to be self-motivated is to give yourself doable goals, you know, tasks that you can get done. And finally, I want to end the episode with uh, looking at some of... The hindrances or the reasons for not moving forward are things that can hurt our motivation. Now, the first one of this is habit. We have a tendency as humans to get into the habit of doing things a certain way. This is really big with uh, physical goals. Most of the examples I read under this were having to do with exercise plans and things like that. You know, you get into the habit of watching television for three or four hours every night for 10, 15 years. And the next one is a lack of means.
1: And this can be kind of tricky for programmers uh, in certain circumstances. Like, well, like for right now, for instance, if I wanted to switch to Node.js, which I kind of would consider it.
0: It's really interesting. I've, I've looked into it.
1: But the thing is here in Nashville, there's not a lot of jobs and i don't have the means to be able to, to do it
0: sometimes you need to move your 6 to 12 month goal out to the out to your 5 year goal because your 6 to 12 month goal may need to be getting the means to get to that bigger goal
1: yeah and like if you want to start a business you don't just quit your job and go start a business if, if you have any sense you're going to build a runway yeah so that you have a you know, you have some time to make the thing work. And that has to be, you know, the first goal has to be creating the means and then you create the opportunity.
0: And this kind of leads into the very next one, which is the perceived cost because sometimes we can perceive the cost to be more than we're willing to pay. And this, this also goes back to um, breaking it down.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, this is the reason I haven't, Uh, Done more with my strength training. I would, I would love to be, you know, fit at a level where, you know, I was just really cut and all that, but I'd have to eat chicken and rice all the time. And that's not worth the cost to me. That's okay. That's something you, you know, you just have to say, okay, this goal is not as important to me as some degree of
0: comfort. That's like driving fast. I love driving fast, but. Speeding tickets are expensive and it's just not worth the cost to me anymore. Yeah,
1: but I mean, you know, and <laughs> part of that is where you end up getting, right? Because yeah. okay, I got to Smyrna faster. Yay. Whereas if, oh, okay, this is my training to become a race car driver, then it's a completely different set of because it's a different set of motivations because of the end goal, not because of what you're doing.
0: That's a very, very good point, is you know, your perceived costs are going to be different for the same activity.
1: Right. And this you know, this feeds into the whole thing of not being truthful about what you want. Because a lot of people will drive like they want to become race car drivers, but they just want to get to Smyrna quicker.
0: Especially when you're setting your own goals, it can be very easy to not be truthful about what you want. And this is why we have that review and repeat process in there, is because... Once you start working towards a goal, you may realize this isn't what I want. Or you catch it.
1: You know, I initially thought I wanted to be a manager of software developers. And when I did that, I realized that that was not my thing. I don't, you know, I don't mind managing people and helping people and all that, but it really got to me that I had had three people on the team who basically didn't need a manager. And the fourth one, um, there was no amount of management that could help him.
0: Well, that kind of wraps it up for uh, for our discussion on motivation. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us for uh, Tricks of the trade?
1: Well, this week I've got a tool that you can use for merging files. If you have you know, two different versions of the same file and you need to actually make one version, I, you know, I had to do a little bit of this uh, a few weeks. So it's been over a month at this point. Back, you know, I had... Several versions of the same JavaScript file that had been forked at some point in the past. Well, this this tool will actually help you unfork them. I guess is the best way to put it. You put them, you know, you merge them, you put them back together. And this tool is called WinMerge, and it's it's obviously Windows only, and it's available at WinMerge.org, which is you know pretty obvious. What it will do is it will bring up both files side by side and you can pick which piece of which file you want and it will find all the differences and mark them so you can gradually merge them together and not miss anything because it does text comparisons. So I think it's a pretty handy tool. I don't use it as much as I used to. It used to be absolutely required if you were doing Git and you had to do a bunch of funky things to get it tied together where when you did get merge tool where it would actually show up now that's done in visual studio. And so we're, you know, we're free and clear on it, but it it still can be rather handy for stuff. That's not in source control or where you can't, for whatever reason, get into visual studio to mess with it. So it's, it's pretty neat little tool. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at Podcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.